Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, we featured news on what's happening in Puerto Rico. We talk about the impact about a year and a half out from the huracán. We also talk about the policies that are being imposed that are destroying the remaining social safety nets on the island. We'll also talk to you about upcoming music shows that inspire healing. And our own Nina Serrano brings us a history of Latinx radio programming at KPFA with tributes to Lillian del Sol Ortiz. So this is a show you do not want to miss. All this and much more will end with a calendar of upcoming events. Stay tuned. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles. This is Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Julieta Cosnid, and today we're going to get to talk about the healing power of music and how music is a tool to unite people from across borders and address healing and imagine a better world. I have in the studio with us Maria Jose Montijo. She is a musician. She practices healing arts, and she has an upcoming show this Saturday that she's going to chat with us about. Maria Jose, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. So, Marie Jose, first off, you have spent a lot of time focusing your work, your writing, and your music on addressing some of the issues that you see on your island of Puerto Rico. You're part of the Bomba community. You're part of Taller Bombalele, which produces incredible music that not just moves people and educates people around Puerto Rican culture and history, but also draws attention to injustices on the islands, particularly post-hurricane. Can you talk to us about some of the issues that you're seeing now? We're about a year and a half out from the huracán and the destruction. Talk to us a little bit about what your family's saying and what you're hearing from the island. Well, first of all, I think it's really important for people to have uh, an understanding that there's such a mass migration of Puerto Ricans to the United States. And even before Hurricane Maria, like this mass migration started with the economic problems that we face in 2004. There was a census in 2016, and apparently there's 3.5 million Puerto Ricans in the island and 5.4 million Puerto Ricans in, in the U.S. And after Hurricane Maria, approximately 130,000 Puerto Ricans have left the island for the U.S. So this problem of people not having enough opportunities because of the collapse of social structures like education, health, and labor laws. I think what happened after Maria was that the government really kicked in a disaster capitalism plan that really points to gentrify Puerto Rico with millionaires and cryptocurrency people called in by insane tax cuts like basically they don't have to pay taxes and they have no conscience of what's going on in Puerto Rico in a social level and they just want to enjoy being in paradise without really helping out the Puerto Rican people which are really really suffering not only on a socioeconomic level but after Hurricane Maria there's really a generalized chronic post-traumatic stress due to the hurricane and due to the austerity cuts caused by La Junta de Control Fiscal, which is, translates as a fiscal control board, 
which basically Obama signed this uh, law called PROMESA, which assigned, I think, eight or nine individuals that most are not Puerto Rican and most don't live in Puerto Rico to oversee our finances really with the focus on the Puerto Rican people paying the debt. And this debt really is, we can safely say that this is a mostly illegal debt caused by government corruption and corruption from the bondholders and that it has not been audited. It hasn't been audited by the government, like audited by any individuals. So basically, like, this, all these austerity cuts that, for example, like one-third of Puerto Rican public schools have been closed in the past years. Like, I don't know the number, but it's around 500 schools. So it's like, what kind of future are we creating for the youth? And, and in that note, and in that note of, like, government corruption, the government also made this agreement with the Fiscal Control Board and that was signed by the federal government through the Judge Taylor Swine. I think that's her last name. I'm not sure. Swine. I hope you pronounce it like that. Anyway, so it, this, this deal is called COFINA and basically COFINA really penalizes the youth of Puerto Rico to pay for the debt in the next 40 years. And the way that COFINA is structured to pay the debt through taxes is that we would pay the double of what the debt is today because of the interest. So this is like all the government moves and the fiscal control board moves are really toward the interests of corporations, of interests of bondholders, and the interests of capitalism and neoliberalism and really, really making it hard for Puerto Ricans to stay in the island, to have dignified lives, to have a dignified minimum wage, you know, like the minimum wage has been lowered, especially for young people. So I think there's a generalized sense of suffering and hopelessness from the population. A lot of stress, a lot of mental health issues, and an increase in horizontal violence, specifically gender violence. That's the voice of Maria Jose Montijo. We are talking about what's happening now on the island. She's giving us an update. She's from Puerto Rico. She also does a lot of cultural work here in the Bay to lift up Puerto Rican stories and voices and specifically highlighting a lot of Afro-Puerto Rican experiences. Uh, Maria Jose Montijo, so you have really written a lot of music and spent a lot of energy doing fundraisers, doing support, even doing a mission to, since you have a music training, but also you're an acupuncturist, you've done a lot of healing work. So talk to us about what you're seeing on the island, because from what I understand, Puerto Rico has a long history of students being organized and standing up and taking to the streets, and a lot of people have come from the diaspora to the island. Are there any ways that you want to highlight that people are coming together and working to push back against these policies, this austerity policies that are so harmful for the island and for its people. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, way before the hurricane, this organization that I volunteered a lot for uh, formed, that's called Salud de Acupuntura para el Pueblo. This organization basically offers 
free acupuncture community clinics, specifically ear acupuncture community clinics in the lineage of the young lords and the Black Panthers in that they they started this movement in the 70s when they took over the Lincoln Hospital and started a lot of healthcare programs specific to detoxing, uh, harm reduction, and, and support for stress and trauma of uh, underserved communities. So they started this acupuncture program where they would teach each other how to do basic ear point protocols that are really good for the things that I just mentioned, which is harm reduction, detoxing, and stress and anxiety. And so this movement started in Puerto Rico with the support of the different organizations. But lately, there's been people from the from the young lords that go to Puerto Rico to do trainings that are based on, for example, Taoism and decolonial thought or Tai Chi classes or healthcare classes. But basically... Salud de Acupuntura para el Pueblo is completely volunteer-run. It's like a labor of love and visionary baby of Jose Santini, who uh, studied acupuncture in New York. He's a licensed acupuncturist. And he has trained over 100 lay people to offer volunteer services at these communities. And there's different clinics throughout the week and a lot of pop-ups in different places around the island like churches, fairs, parties, um, any like celebration and, and they, they get invited and they go and they offer healthcare services that are really much needed because the healthcare system is collapsing with the austerity cuts. So they're doing really awesome work, and I love supporting them as much as I can. If you would like to support them too, you can look for their Facebook group, Salud y Acupuntura para el Pueblo, and ask them how you can help them, because they do need our support. And other than that, I mean, I'm really blown away by the work of the different Centros de Apoyo Mutuo that sprouted after Hurricane Maria. So basically, these community efforts began to feed people because people were hungry and people didn't have access to food or money for weeks after the hurricane. And they fed hundreds and hundreds of people a day, and they also became centers of education, of community, uh, skill building, and also health clinics. There's there's different acupuncture, like the ear clinics at the centers too. That's the voice of Maria Jose Montijo. We're talking about ways that people on the island are coming together, showing solidarity and supporting each other through healing, but not just physical healing, but also using tools that address post-traumatic stress and all the other stresses that people are facing on a daily basis, all the different kinds of depression and sadness and anxiety that I'm sure come from not just the tragedy, but all these policies that are having such a big impact on Puerto Rican people. Maria Jose Montijo, you actually just went to Puerto Rico just a few months ago, and you didn't go just to visit your family. You actually went um, with a group of others that were doing healing work. Why don't you tell us about what you experienced who you connected with and the different parts of Puerto Rico that you went to? 
Yeah, so this past January, I went to Puerto Rico with a group of volunteers and we designed these workshops that were about um, meditation, movement, and music for relieving the traumatic effects uh, of the hurricane. And we went to different communities and I was particularly touched by the Mutual Support Center in Las Catalinas Caguas, which was basically elderly women that took over an abandoned school and they made it into a community kitchen, but they also started offering uh, programs to support the elderly people that are around Caguas so they can go and feel supported and feel their value and learn skills so they can make money. And and I think it especially touched me because the elderly population is really forgotten and neglected in Puerto Rico. And I think it's it's a pro it's a real problem. So to see these mostly women leaders holding up the community and finding new new ways to to bring people together and to make exchanges that are not that that are outside capitalism feels really awesome it really i really felt so much hope from what they've been able to to accomplish by themselves and for themselves we also uh, spend a bunch of time with the community of Canteras, which is a really underserved community, and they have amazing women leaders, again, that really uphold their communities and advocate for their communities in a way that brings a lot more support also for the youth and the elderly. Um, so I, I just want to give a shout out to them. And You know, what we found with our workshops was that people really do need places that are safe where they can really heal from all the oppression that that is going on in the island. And most people, most of the feedback that I got was that the workshops were really helpful for them and their communities. So a lot of the people who came together, did you get the feeling that these kinds of opportunities in terms of music and meditation and movement. What was your impression in terms of the need and that this these kinds of workshops were serving? Well, it's kind of that need of learning resources to regulate the nervous system because when trauma happens and it there's no resolution, it just creates chronic stress and anxiety because it just gets stored in the body. So to see people settle and to see people look at music in a different way because I was in charge of the music portion of the workshop and to have people uh, start to look within with music and, and feel the healing power of music was really powerful. So, Maria Jose Montijo, you've been talking to us about ways that you've been involved in efforts to address some of the trauma and some of the damage done, not just by the hurricane, but by these neoliberal policies, these colonial policies, these terrible policies that the U.S. has been inflicting on the island. 
Unfortunately, it'd be great to say that these policies are just all done and now it's just addressing the aftermath, but it seems like they just keep coming. Can you tell us about some things that people are kind of organizing around and maybe are concerned about that is in the air in terms of what may be happening for the island in the future? Oh, yeah, there's a couple of things. So first of all, Trump is threatening to take our emergency relief funds to build the wall, which is completely ridiculous. And other than that, there's also this project that the Senate wants to approve, which would restrict women's abortion rights in a big way. So that's something people are advocating against. So I've seen a lot of like feminist movement, intersectional feminist movements uh, really speaking up and calling out and trying to get the government to be accountable for what they do. And especially Colectiva Feminista en Construcción, they're doing really amazing work. But I also want to say that in terms of the protest, whenever there's protest, there's this fear of police violence repression of repression of really like people getting tear gas like children getting tear gas in like protests and for example there's Nina Dross which is she's basically a political prisoner she's been in jail for now a couple of years because of something she did in a protest that she's getting a sentence that's way higher than any ordinary person would get and and the treatment also that she receives is very questionable in jail. Also in respect to Kofina, when Kofina was approved by the by the judge Taylor Swain, this school teacher called Elimar Alicia Cardon Sierra, she called the the judge and she left her like a really enraged message. And then the FBI showed up to the school and the teacher was arrested for that. So there's really like a sense of repercussion and persecution and, yeah, of wanting people to be silenced, silencing voices, silencing voices of the opposition. Oof, it's a scary time, but it's a time that we all need to stay very informed and alert and do what we can to show support and solidarity with the work happening on the ground in Puerto Rico and also the work happening here to be able to draw attention to these terrible policies that are really just enriching a few people and really making a lot of vulnerable folks and just uh, ripping apart some of the important fabric of the island. So, Marie Jose, you have spent a lot of time using music to connect the dots between personal healing, looking at societal issues, and also taking the opportunity to highlight some of the things that you see happening on the island and your own relationship as someone who's had to leave her home and start again here. Um, Why don't you talk to us about this upcoming concert that's happening this Saturday. Its theme is Immigrant Voices. And as you mentioned, you know, what's happening right now in Puerto Rico, there's a lot of silencing happening. What are the kinds of things and themes that you'll be singing about? And tell us about the other people you'll be singing with. Yes, so this concert is going to be March 30th at the St. Cyprian Episcopal Church in San Francisco. And it's a concert series called Immigrant Voices by SF Life Arts. 
So I am joined by my dear, dear friend, Diana Gameros and Jose Lobos from Venezuela. And basically, we're going to sing original songs, native folk songs from our countries, and also speak a little bit about our personal immigration stories. So let's feature one of the songs that you may be playing there. So why don't we uh, pick a song from your album that you think that you may be playing and kind of how it connects to some of the themes that you've been talking about. So what song would you like us to play? So I would like to offer my song Cura because it's a song about the connection of healing to our connection with the earth and to our, its natural resources and a mutual respect and that relationship between our bodies and the body of the earth. Cura, cura, cura. 
you just heard the music of Maria Jose Montijo. That song was called Cura, off of her EP, Estrellas, that you can find on Bandcamp. So we are also going to feature a song by Diana Gameros, who uh, is one of our favorites as well. Uh, we'll play the song Ligerita, which I think speaks to some of the ways that we have nostalgia and we have pain and we also have joy in terms of the new things, which is very in keeping with this idea of what it means to be an immigrant. Una hoja en blanco Es lo que necesito Donde la ansiedad Y la apatía se oculta La impaciencia se refugia Donde la ansiedad Y la impaciencia se refugia Aliviando mis pesares va la hoja de papel Convirtiéndose en aliada De los asuntos del ayer Ligerita quiero ser Quiero ser así de blanca como una hoja de papel, así de blanca como una hoja de papel. Oh, oh, oh. Que yo te pido donde la soledad y el corazón se junten donde la soledad y la conciencia se dibuje donde la soledad y la Conciencia se dibuje, aliviando mis pesares va la hoja de papel, convirtiéndose en aliada de los asuntos del ayer. Ligerita quiero ser, ligerita quiero ser, así de blanca.
just heard the music of the Anagameros. That song was called Ligerita. Marie Jose Montijo, so tell us again the event info. So the event is March 30th at 8 p.m. at the St. Cyprian Episcopal Church in San Francisco. And if you want to buy advance tickets, you can go to Brown Paper Tickets. And the event is called Immigrant Voices. Maria Jose Montijo, how can people follow your music and your work? I have my music on Bandcamp. So you can go to Bandcamp and look for Maria Jose Montijo, and there you can find my music. I also have music on SoundCloud. And you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook by my nickname, Majo, M-A-J-O. I'm on Facebook as Majo, Instagram, Maria Jose Montijo. And also, if you want to check out my healing services, you can go to shiftacupuncture.com. And if you have any questions, you can write me an email at mariajose at shiftacupuncture.com. Maria Jose Montijo, you've been talking to us about how people have been organizing to provide healing on a local person-to-person level, very grassroots. You've been talking to us about these centros mutuos where people are just coming together and sharing what they have. But it seems like there's also a lot of change brewing from a political level as well. So can you share with us a little bit about what people are talking about in terms of the changes and possible growth of a new political party on the island? Yes. So there was the a presentation of a new movement called Movimiento Victoria Ciudadana, which is um, an amalgam of independent independent politicians and legal rights lawyers and basically they're coming together with this new platform that really challenges their really stagnant and quagmired like status quo of politics which only serves itself and it's super corrupt and basically they their platform is about colonization challenging government corruption and auditing the debt and rejecting la junta de control fiscal and their austerity cuts and 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 stopping the public funds that are sustaining these people that are draining us la junta de control fiscal they they get paid 80 million dollars a year yeah i just wanted to say that they want to restore the labor right laws that were cut due to the austerity cuts, protect public education and our public university and public services in general. They advocate food sovereignty, universal health care, and putting the people before the dead. And this movement really gives me hope because we need change from a policy level. What's this movement called? It's called Movimiento Victoria Ciudadana. This is Crónicas de la Raza, La Raza Chronicles, and I've been speaking to Maria Jose Montijo, who, along with being a beautiful musician and harps player, she's someone who has been active to fight for more just conditions in terms of all these policies that are coming down, affecting Puerto Rico, and also working on the island to provide support, healing support through music, through acupuncture, through different mediums, to be able to support those who are now feeling the physical and mental and spiritual effects of these colonial policies. Thank you so much, Marie Jose Montijo, for making time to speak with us, give us an update on Puerto Rico, and talk to us about this exciting event happening this Saturday. Thank you for having me. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. 
I hope you're enjoying listening to La Raza Chronicles here on KPFA 94.1. Did you know there wasn't always Latinx-focused programming on KPFA? It began in 1971 as popular KPFA and KPU music producer Emiliano Echeverria will explain. It was the sad death of our mutual compañera Lillian del Sol Ortiz that occasioned his recorded remarks at her memorial and celebration of life ceremony this winter, 2018, in San Francisco. Thoughts on Lil and Comunicación Aslan. On our way back from a meeting back in April, Lil and I spoke at length and she asked me to share some thoughts with you today. The first thing I wish to tell you is that Lil loved you all so very much. There comes a point where the times, events, culture, and people cross paths, and something new happens. The connection between Comunicación Aslan and Lillian del Sol in 1972 was such an occurrence. Comunicación Aslan was founded by Raúl Torres, who is present with us here today, in November 1971. I joined up with Raúl with the third program later that month. Bernice and Steve Ramirez, and also Tim Del Sol, Lil's older brother, completed the original group. Rodrigo Reyes joined up in May 1972, and Chata Gutierrez and Lil in July that year. We had program time at KPFA in Berkeley, where we pioneered bilingual programming on a high-powered, regional, non-commercial radio station. We were about serving the community. Lil was one of the members of the group who came from one of the communities we were dedicating ourselves to serving. She learned and benefited from our training program, and she applied that energy to our efforts and the training of others. When Lil came to us, she was working with children's education, as were several other members of the original group, who were centered around the alternative school Casa de la Raza in Berkeley. This is how I met Lil, which was through Tim, who worked there. As we came to know Lil, it was clear she was going to make major contributions to our group. Lil and Comunicación Aslan were la combinación perfecta, the perfect combination. How many group meetings really started when Lil walked in and said, Hello, group. Remember? With the addition of Andres Alegría and his sister Isabel, we had the beginnings of a real working group. And it was this group, with the addition of Nina Serrano, went to El Paso, Texas, and formed the Comunicación Aslan Collective shortly after our return. Although Lil did not go to Texas, she took part in the entire process. Things happened so fast. Comunicación Aslan grew and evolved as new members came in and some moved on. Lil was one of those people who was liked by all in the collective. I never heard anyone say a negative thing about her during her entire time with the group. Lil was a full participant in everything she did, and she gave it her all. She was often the glue that held things together when times became difficult. But with all the struggles with KPFA we went through, all the tensions inevitable in any collective, and the hard work of just keeping it all going, Lil was always there and could always be counted on to come through and to do it well. Comunicación Aslan was designed as and became an incubator of talent. In all, almost two dozen people came through this group although working membership was about 10 most of the time. After the collective disbanded, Lil assisted me in shepherding the recordings and other assets of Comunicación Aslan into permanent hands, which has been accomplished with the preservation of the Comunicación Aslan archives at the Freedom Archives as part of their original collection. 
Lil continued to be very active with movements involved in class struggle. In fact, that involvement intensified, including her involvement with Unity Newspaper of the August 29th Movement and later El Tecolote. Among many other things, during the late 1970s, Lil was manager of this building, the Mission Neighborhood Center, and was involved in many community functions which happened here then. It is a fact that Lil was a major participant in the organization of the first carnival held here in San Francisco in the late 1970s, and it's a fact that's often overlooked. It's also true that many who do the work often never get the credit for their efforts, but we remember not to forget. You just heard Emiliano Echeverria's recorded eulogy to Lillian del Sol Ortiz, one of the pioneers of Latinx radio programming. He went on to introduce the beautifully produced short video by fellow pioneer and prize-winning videographer Andres Alegria. This soundtrack you are about to hear is based on interviews with Lillian del Sol Ortiz about her radio and community work with the Latinx collective Comunicación Aslan that produced the first bilingual programs in English, Spanish, and Spanglish on KPFA. You'll also hear the voices of Isabel Alegría, Lillian's son, Miguel Ortiz, and myself, Nina Serrano. never been in a radio station, never ever considered that that would be something that I would partake in or aspire to or really have any thoughts of joining. It was grassroots people. People that were there said, you know, we don't have a voice. We're from the community. We need to have a voice. We need to put forward what's happening with us, too. I remember Rap would come in, Ray Balboron would come in and talk about what they were doing with the youth in Rap and um, how they were trying to assist youngsters to get a direction, to not go into the, the area of gangs or not to go into the area of drugs or to understand what the point of, the edu of education was in order to not only empower yourself, but to empower and give back to your community. So that was really important to hear, and people on, on Comunicación Aslan were putting that forward through the airwaves. It definitely stretched my boundaries personally in terms of bringing me into a group of people and community and contact that was just very peripheral to me. I grew up in San Francisco in the, in, the, in the mission. I mean, I lived in the community. I was a product of the community. I faced the good and the bad of the community, but I wasn't active with it. Uh, went to school, was a pretty good kid. Went to school, did my homework, came home, you know, helped mom with this or that. And, and uh, so she, my mother was a single mother, um, having to raise five children after my father passed away when I was only three and my oldest brother was 14. 
So we pretty, she pretty much kept us very, very close to her. Although our, our lifestyle, I grew up there at Valencia Gardens in the projects for 10 years and there was all kinds of happenings going on, good and bad there. My mom, to our, our benefit in the end, seeing as an adult, kept a good handle on us and kept us on the straight and narrow. My brother Tim, who seemed to have been a catalyst for opening my eyes to different things since he had his tentacles in a lot of different places, um, had introduced me to the, uh, I think it was called Empleo program at Vacaville State Prison. Through that program, we would go in and we would meet with the Mexican-American, Chicano, Latino inmates and provide Chicano history classes. And some, some of the inmates there had been doing a lot of poetry and, and getting poetry from them. So Miguel, it's really exciting to be able to take you through this. Our group, Comunicación Atzlan, created all this work. It's been about 45 years that we did all this work. Miguel, it goes all the way up there to there. Okay, what about this one? Music with poetry in Spanish and English. We tried to keep things very bilingual and a lot of Span uh, Spanglish yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of prison slang because we worked a lot with the prison movement. Oh, was my mom part of that? Oh, your mom was key. She was the one with the contacts because she had been doing prison reform work and visiting the prisons. And so she was meeting Chicano prisoners. So she would find the most articulate and bring them to us to record. A good recorder. <laughs> yeah, good so man. she was like key. Poets would write material for our programs. And like you said, we'd find find poets in the field, you know, or we find poets in the prisons, you know. We, we uh, had a lot of, of poets that came in from, from uh, I know, Vacaville, uh, from San Quentin, you know, uh, that would do poetry for the program and because of the program. They would initiate um, their own, um, you know, desire to, to put forward what was in their heart and what they wanted to contribute to the struggle that was going on from the point where they were at. You know? And you know, there's a lot of talk these days about the use of storytelling, you know, to make history alive or to explain things to people. And we were doing it back then. That's right. You know, right. doing plays instead yes. of a history program. Yes. Plays. I remember, I remember you me playing. Yes, Queen I was. Isabella. That's right. right. Along with Rodrigo, he yes, wrote the he play. Wrote the play for Cinco de Mayo. And I, oh, it was wonderful. It was so fun, and I had never done anything like that. Yes, it was the first time I was ever in a play. I wasn't even in a play, even in grammar school. I wasn't a tree or a rock or a singer or anything. <laughs> so it was, it was quite uh, 
it was quite an experience. We took turns <laughs> yes, playing different roles. Mm -hmm. Like one week you might be the writer, the next week you were the producer, yeah. uh, the next week you were getting the music together. Right. Okay, Lillian, the one you're gonna do is you're working with children, so you're gonna do a children's program. Or I said, I'll do a children's program. And it was fun. We had a great time doing that. I had been working at that time at the Barrier Bilingual Education League in Berkeley, Babel, with the children there. And so I thought, oh, it'd be great to do some audio uh, books that they could listen to when they were there, when it wasn't their turn to do something else at, at the media center. And so we, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was a children's book that had about a donkey. And, and this donkey was, was the main character. And who did we recruit to be our donkey but Andres? Andres was a wonderful donkey. He could do the whatever the donkey, <laughs> that sounds like a horse or whatever the donkey would say fantastically. But the best thing was to see afterwards how the children were able to utilize that wow. tape. Chata Gutierrez, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Young woman, older woman, uh, strong woman. I met her when she was in her early 20s. She wanted to learn engineering. She wasn't just gonna be a voice. She wanted to learn the actual board. And you know, at that point in time, we had the board and the knobs and everything else. It wasn't as it is today, you know. Um, but she got in there and she wanted to learn that. It took her a while to get there, but um, uh, she was an inspiration to me because I kept saying, oh yeah, I want to do that, I want to do that, but I never did it. <laughs> I started it, but never finished, but Chata went ahead and became proficient in that, got her license, and she was a beautiful, beautiful um, commentator on the air. She developed from being very shy and, and not knowing what to do in terms of interviews or programming, but she always had the music. She always had the rhythm. She had the salsa in her bones, and she wanted, she was just full of it to get it out. And this allowed her to blossom and bloom and find her place. And it was, it's, it's really nice to see people grow and know that you're part of that um, maybe not directly, but indirectly too. Lillian Del Sol Ortiz requested I read our signature poem, Ancestors Antepasados, at her memorial. I wrote it at KPFA under great duress and delight over 40 years ago. Comunicación Atzlan was initiating a new radio series premiering on KPFA, Como Mis Antepasados, Like My Ancestors, about Latin American history, music, and culture. We had just finished the first program. We needed an opening. Go in the other room and write a poem, Nina. 
Andres had the instrumental music to go ready under it. I had ten minutes. Lillian would pop her head in, saying, Are you finished yet? Yes, I finished it. Andres was ready with our old-school razor blade and tape technology. We went on the air as scheduled. Here is the poem. Antepasados, Ancestors. We are one because America is one continent tied by the slender curves of Panama. We are one people tied by the buried bones of antepasados, the buried bones of ancestors from Asia to America, from Africa to America, from Europe to America, back to the first mothers and the first fathers, back to the first gardens of flowers and fruits where vegetables grew wild. The thick grasses cushioned their bodies when they lay down to love. Warm water gurgled up from the earth and spilled down into clear pools. Feathers waved above their heads and floated across their bodies as they strutted in the afternoon. But then there was the snake of greed, grew like a weed, planted the seed that made one person think that to fill their need or to succeed, they had to use someone else's labor for their own profit. Wars came. Dead animals, women and cattle became property. Slaves chained, put to work, endless work that finally built factories and smog, rich parts of town and poor, built on the buried bones of antepasados, the buried bones of ancestors. Shake the bones. Hear their ghostly moans. We learn from our past to build our future. Earlier in our group friendship, Lillian, still in her 20s, bought a new pair of athletic shoes. This was in the 1970s when most women still wore heels and pantyhose. I wrote this poem for her and later read it to her at her 60th birthday party. Lillian's Shoes From my first book collection of poems, Heart Songs, Lillian's Shoes Her foot, now strongly supported as she deserves, she, the Lil, the flower of our power drive to the mines through our media army. She, the Lil, her foot now strong as her mind, she ready to record and run. Lily of the spring resurrection, springing into action, bouncing off her soul, her soul deep pleasure of a new woman in her new shoes. Lillian Ortiz del Sol, in her last weeks, helped make a video on the history of our Latinx media group, Comunicación Atzlan, climbing a steep flight of stairs at Freedom Archives in San Francisco, where our work is available. 
Freedom Archives is about to celebrate its 20th anniversary. For Lillian del Sol Ortiz by Nina Serrano. Our beloved Lillian left us last night. She gave us her all. When she climbed the staircase to freedom, painful step by step to move our history forward to the future. This great hope you sometimes feel, that's Lillian visiting you, a lightness amidst solidity, marking the beat of Madre Tierra, setting down the rhythmic pulse. We will follow along in time. She'll be waiting with a smile with Chata, Daniel, Ruben, and Rodrigo at the end of the dance that others will choreograph creating the world that is possible. Gonzalez. This has been Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles with the beginning of a series on the history of Latinx programming on KPFA. We at La Raza Chronicles are proud to follow those historic footsteps. Hello, KPFA listeners. My name is Kay, and I would like to take a moment to talk to you about the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, which I am a part of. I belong to Apprentice Group 44 Audacity. So the First Voice Apprenticeship Program was started here at KPFA over 30 years ago out of a need for inclusion and diversity in the media, including a need for diversity right here at KPFA. Women and people of color were not fairly represented at KPFA, which led to a lot of discord including a time when people of color locked themselves in broadcast control rooms and went on the air to share their grievances in an effort to be heard. They stayed locked in those rooms until their speech was silenced. There was a lot of struggle that led to the launch of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program and the struggles persisted throughout the years. However, to date, the program has survived tumultuous years and remains intact with more women and people of color employed here at the station. Women like Kristen Thomas, Erica Bridgman, Janine Etter, and our very own First Voice Director, Miss M. And we're currently looking for more voices. I have been a First Voice Apprentice for nearly seven months, and my group, Group 44 Audacity, have bonded during our time in the program. And we're learning how to produce and tell our own stories, how to host our own shows. We're learning digital editing, news writing, community involvement, as well as the production of our weekly show, Full Circle. So I've been going on and on, but I have another apprentice here with me, my fellow group member, Shanice Smith, who's here to tell us a bit about her experience in the program. Shanice? Hello, uh, my name is Shanice. I would just like to say that the program has been a really great learning experience. Um, We've learned a lot about media and I'm someone who doesn't come from a background of media, so it's been very eye-opening. Um, and I've really enjoyed my group members and the trainer. They've all been very helpful in the times where you have a lot of questions um, and you will have a lot of questions because it's a lot that we're learning, but it's been a really good experience. If you're interested in the program, we're now accepting applications. To apply, visit kpfaapprentice.org. The deadline is April 2nd. We're looking forward to hearing from you.
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza, and this is the calendar of events and happenings for the Bay Area. On Thursday, March 28th, come to the historic Victoria Theater in San Francisco for Esta Noche en la Misión, a Latinx Cultura Variety Show featuring poets, musicians, and drag from the Bay Area, happening in the heart of the mission at the Victoria Theater, 2961 16th Street in San Francisco at 8 p.m. No te lo pierdas, it'll be a great event featuring some of the Bay Area's most loved performers. This Friday, March 29th, Los Angeles band Pongo and Quita Penas will also bring their cumbia and Latino rhythms to the bottom of the hill, 1233 17th Street in San Francisco, starting at 9 p.m. You can find out more at bottomofthehill.com. On this Saturday, March 30th, Diana Gameros, Maria Jose Montijo, and Jose Lobos will take us on a journey through Latin America by way of original music, folk tunes from their native countries, and stories of their own immigrant journeys. The night will consist of three short solo shows as well as collaborations between artists. This will be at 2097 Turk Street in San Francisco at St. Cyprian's Episcopal Church. This Sunday, March 31st, there will be an all-day Chilean festival beginning at noon with activities with a children's show and followed by Latin American music and dance with gourmet Chilean wine, food specialties, and much more. This will be hosted by the Centro Chileno, a longtime Bay Area group promoting Chilean culture in California. This will be at 451 Eucalyptus Drive in San Francisco starting at noon. On Friday, April 5th, Cultura Resistencia from Los Siete to Today. Fifty years ago, the rest of seven young Central American men from the Mission District galvanized a movement and helped define a radical politics of self-determination. Join Acción Latina for an art exhibition and a series of talks on the movement's aesthetics and cultural resistance of Yolanda M. López, Donna James Amador, and Basta Ya, and the Los Siete Defense Committee. This is at Acción Latina, which is 2958 24th Street in San Francisco. Open reception starts at 6 p.m. in Acción Latina. On Saturday, April 6th, Presida is muralist invite you to celebrate the gift of Xochitl Quetzal, a sidewalk mosaic mural, Luis and Susan Cervantes Day. The design for the gift of Xochitl Quetzal is inspired by the Latino flower goddess and palabras, speech glyphs, and Aztec calendar day symbols. This will be at Presida Eyes Mural Arts at 2981 24th Street in San Francisco from 4 to 7. This has been a calendar of events and happenings for the Bay Area. If you'd like to add an event to a calendar or think there's something we should be covering, always you can always email us at lajasachronicles at kpfa.org. If you miss some of these events or want to find out more about what's happening in your community, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us at both those sites at Las Raza Chronicles. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches.